Welcome back to Partnerships Unraveled. The podcast where we unravel the mysteries of partnerships and channel on a weekly basis. My name is Rick van der Bos and I'm the CEO and founder at Chenext. And I'm here together with Alex Whitford, VP Partners at Chenext. Alex, how are you doing today? Not going to lie, Rick. Slightly nervous. It's uh, It's been two months since we recorded a, our last podcast. So if uh, if the audience can suddenly pick up that we're absolutely terrible at this, apologies. But we might be slightly rusty. Correct. But I think this time for very good reasons, because you just returned from your honeymoon. Yeah, not quite a two-month honeymoon. But yeah, we uh, we did a whole batch of uh, recordings ahead of the summer, because I think you were on holiday and I was on holiday. There was a long time uh, between getting us both in the office at the same time. But yeah, me and the... Uh, wife we went to uh the u.s for uh for three weeks which was yeah amazing i came back about 10 kilos heavier but it was uh yeah it was amazing yeah yeah loads of great food right it was kind of like a food trip you thought yeah yeah so my uh me and my wife were big foodies and so uh we went to texas and nashville and we went to like all these food spots that we've been researching like in covid we did this big like deep dive because we couldn't do anything else on like great food to go and eat and so we found like a stupidly long list of food um and yeah, uh, outside of uh, something called Nashville hot chicken, which is like the spiciest chicken in the world, uh, my wife literally had stomach cramps for like six weeks afterwards because it was so spicy. Um, and we literally only had one bite of this piece of chicken each. Um, but yeah, outside of that, it was uh, a perfect trip. Excellent time. Uh, yeah, great. Yeah, I, for me, it's the same, actually. I think I'm also five kilos heavier. So if you're looking at on YouTube, you can currently... See that, but uh, had a great time in Italy. Also, loads of food, and now uh, ready to get back at it again. Yeah, Italy and all those carbs, right? That's uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, hopefully, over the next few weeks, you'll see us all losing weight very quickly. And now that we're back to normal. <laughs> now, I think uh, on to today's topic uh, because we're going to talk about long tail, and especially long tail in the channel. If you work with your long tail partners, why is it so important to do so? How do you do it, and how do you track success? But maybe before we dive into that, Alex, could you define what is the long tail? Like, how would you t- tell someone what it is? Yeah, broadly speaking, um, there's an 80-20 rule to basically all channels, right? And so there's 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your partners. I think my rough definition for long tail is everyone outside of that 20% of partners. Um, and so lots of people think that, hey, that bit of the channel is not valuable. We're going to put all our focus in at the top and and this podcast i'm gonna we're going to explain why we think really that long tail is the backbone of the channel economy and how you can really really leverage and get outsized returns by heavily focusing and heavily investing in that space yeah i think long tail is also a bit synonymous with uh unmanaged right so what, what we see there is that the, in the with the 80 20 rule those 20 percent of partners they do a large a significant amount of your revenue so you have account managers on them who are visiting them weekly, monthly, like having a lot of discussions around how do we improve. But then we got this big long tail, which are a lot more partners, but with a little bit little less revenue. So therefore we can't manage them directly, right? Yeah, exactly. And so then they leverage either distribution or automation uh, technology to help enable those partners, but it's very, very high level and very, very light touch. And and the idea is if that partner is good enough, they'll rise to this top, right? They'll become the next rising stars. And then ultimately, hopefully they become a, a managed partner or a gold partner, if that's your medal status. Um, but yeah, I think that is an outdated view because that's a, a strategy that certainly worked in the 90s and the 2000s but technology has advanced so far that i think we're really missing a trick by just spending all of our time and resources on those top few partners 
Yeah, because that's a bit where sometimes the the challenge could be, right? Like if if the majority of your revenue is done in that managed partners, like why do you think that the the long tail or unmanaged is still so important for the vendors? Yeah, so I think um, the first reason that I would pick out is competitiveness, right? So uh, there are very few brands out there who are truly unique and don't have competitors. I think there's probably zero, right? If if you're a big successful brand, someone is going to design a similar proposition to you and try and compete. All of your top partners are most likely all of their top partners too, especially if you've reached a significant level of maturity. And so you are competing for market share left and right. That puts a lot of the power in the partner, right? Because they can negotiate better rebates, better terms. They can play you off against each other. And so you're looking for incremental wins. It's a double-edged sword. In some way, it's really good because you're working with very successful partners, got the economies of scale, got the professionalism, got the customer base to really grow very effectively. So if you get it right, it's brilliant. However, you can also spend a lot of money and a lot of time and lose, right? Really lose because you can go, right, we're going to have 10% rebate and we're going to put all this resource. And the guy down the road's got a better pricing, better rebate because they're a bigger brand, right? And they can just cut you out of the game. Um, and they will do, right? Because that's a really smart way of going about business. So I'm certainly not saying don't focus on the tops, but I'm saying be careful of only focusing on the top because you are hedging, you're putting all your eggs in one basket and you are just as likely to win as you are to lose. Yeah, I think in almost all the discussions that we're having currently with vendors, we actually hear that from a global perspective, they are really looking into partner breath, like making sure that they get a lot more partners on board and actually getting more and more of that long tail. And I think a big reason for that actually is that it's a lot of de-risking there as well. Because if you only work with a small set of partners and indeed all of a sudden there's a competitor that's going super aggressive on those partners and they all shift left while while you you thought we were going right, then there's a very big risk and, and big revenue cut that could be in front of you. Yeah, and I think the the other piece that you want to understand is those top partners, how are they creating business? So broadly speaking, it's two ways you create business, channel push and end user pull. So channel push is an end user is agnostically asking for a solution and they position your brand. That's great and really valuable. The other is end user pull where uh, a an end user is saying, I would like this brand. If an end user does that nine times out of 10, the partner will sell that brand because it's what they've been asked for, right? So end user pool is incredibly valuable, also very challenging to do. The difficulty with partner push or channel push is that's where you can lose or win big because if you get it right and nine times out of 10, when they get an agnostic request, they're positioning you, that's where you win all the wallet share. That's where you win all the mind share. However, you've got to make sure you get it right. Otherwise, based on the time of day, the rep who's there, the last time you were in the office, did you bring enough donuts for everyone? Whatever the weird reason is why someone might be annoyed at you, they can just turn your business off so quickly. Whereas if you put eggs in multiple baskets and broaden your channel, you de-risk a lot of that. Yeah, so on one hand, we've got to need that competitiveness within those top partners. But there's also like a lot of those top top partners were one small as well right and i think that's also a big reason to work with the long tail yeah to me um if look if you can only pick one group right the the 20 of partners who do 80 of your revenue or the 80 of partners that do 20 percent, obviously you pick the top partners right that makes complete sense the challenge is for you to keep growing you either have to keep getting more and more for those partners which we've already discussed is difficult 
because you're having to compete against the other big players in that space. And so you're living and dying by that competition or you need to deepen that pool. And so what you want to be doing is finding the next partners that enter that top medal status, right? The next rising stars. The only way you can do that is by proactively hunting for them in your long tail. And while it's great if you can monetize your long tail, and I absolutely think it's a core component of what you should be doing, due to it not being as competitive, one of the inherent benefits of doing that is you will be proactively finding partners who go, wow, if we really drive resource into them, really drive resupport, we think they can grow 10x, 20x. I've seen it happen over a few years where someone we've never heard of just comes out of nowhere, new business or new go-to-market motion, and they're just dominating that space. If you catch them early, you get their loyalty early, and then they are embedded into your practice. You could be a core part of what they do. Yeah, that's so true. I, I think in the past we once made like a correlation to, to football where indeed like it's like your football academy where you get players in very young, but and therefore you also make sure that they become more loyal to you as a club or as a vendor in such case, but also for like you have to do to, to do less aggressive rebates, etc., than when you want to get in at the top partner. So it's better for your margin of your channel, etc. There's so much advantage to actually getting in touch with the right partners very early there. But I think at the same time, that's a bit the difficult part, right? Because on one hand, you want to get in touch and you want to give them attention as early as possible. But on the other hand, in the long tail, a lot of those partners are not doing that much revenue yet that we can give them that personal attention. So maybe we can dive a little bit into and really start at the start. Let's say as a channel vendor, you work already with a big long tail or you want to grow that long tail a lot like where would you start in terms of approaching that long tail first from a strategy perspective and then let's later on dive a bit more into the tactics sure so what you want to understand is why there is a long tail and i think like hypothetically i think there's two key reasons why there's a long tail one the top performing partners are more effective businesses right that's just brutally speaking they know how to go to market better they're operationally better got better sales process better marketing process and then they capture demand very effectively. But it is a self-fulfilling prophecy because if you've only got 10 cams, I'm going to put them on the top partners. And then you create that wider and wider separation, right? Because suddenly the top partners are getting all the love and they've got improved processes and you just create this huge separation. Bluntly speaking, I don't think that huge separation needs to be there because now technology has improved to such a level where we've got a way of digitally driving performance. So I'm not trying to play the game by the same rules that we did in the 2000s. I'm trying to play them in the rules that we do in 2023. There's lots of tw technology and with AI coming, and we're definitely going to do a podcast about AI coming down the line and what that means for the channel. But there are things that we can do today that we've never been able to do before. And so that's one. How can technology strategically drive a different approach? And the second is the reason long tail partners don't grow is because they don't know how to create demand. Marketing, in my mind, is the core challenge within the long tail. LMS exists so you can train them. Onboarding exists so you can onboard them. You've got distributional channel account managers or high touch managers if there's a big deal that they need to escalate. The, cha the challenge is they don't create enough opportunities. It's a marketing problem. Great thing about marketing is it's scalable. Yeah, I, I think that's something very interesting you're touching upon because especially in that long tail, that's where they have the biggest problem with marketing indeed because they are usually between 10 to 50 FTE, loads of technical people, quite, quite some sales people, but usually less than one FTE for marketing who's indeed 
do, need to do their own marketing. They need to do marketing for all their vendors. And they're usually just overloaded. And therefore, that leads to inaction. Well, indeed, we touched upon it in the beginning already a little bit. There's channel push and end user pool. And you can't give that much attention to those smaller partners to really do that channel push motion because you're not going to deals together or do co-selling, etc. So you need to facilitate them and create that end user pool to make that very successful. Yeah, I look, and, and I'm speaking from from the know, right? I used, I worked at Zoom through the pandemic. There were partners there that we'd never heard of closing huge deals. Why? Because they were the IT provider for a big company that wasn't in that space, and they were asked for that brand, and they went, oh, yeah, we'll facilitate that deal. And that's because opportunities drive revenue, and revenue drives engagement. We've got it backwards. We talk about engagement driving revenue. To me, that's not true. If suddenly I can see that I'm going to make a lot of money, I'm really engaged. If I've done all the onboarding and training in the world, but I'm not creating any opportunities, I will turn off. I just will. Partners want the easiest mechanism to grow, and it's incumbent on the vendors and the distributors and the channel strategy to give them the tooling required to make that done. The reason why I think people don't focus on marketing because we have not had the technology to do it, right? It's much easier to go, here's our LMS platform. It's digital, log in, watch the videos, do the test, move on. But marketing support done digitally is hard. And so that's why I think we're really missing a trick. And I think 2024, for the vendors that are paying attention, can be the year in which we suddenly go, hang on, we don't need to treat this the same way we did 10 years ago, 20 years ago, which, by the way, broadly speaking, is still how we treat the channel today. Yeah, I think indeed what I always hear from people that we're talking to at the moment a lot is they are really looking for that high volume, low touch model. So how can we get a big amount of partners and facilitate them in the best way, but not necessarily we can't give them that one-to-one attention every single week, every single month. So you really need to look at such a solution. And what I saw a lot there was that they were looking at partner portal. That's what I hear a lot. Like we have the partner portal for the long tail. But I think if there's one group of partners that really does not have time to use your portal, it's the long tail. So that's where you really need to rethink how can we facilitate our partners in a different way to make sure that we enable them in the optimum way and create that demand indeed. And I think that's really what 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 you should be thinking about around that long tail. How can we help them drive that demand, but in a very digital way? Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry if I'm chuckling, but... To me, it's hilarious when people say partner portals. Has anyone spoken to a partner and they said, I love my partner portal? I think it's literally happened zero times, right? No one likes using them. I don't think even vendors like using them. I just think it's a thing that you go, well, this is the technology available, so it's what we will do. And by the way, that's why cams exist, because they still go and ignore the partner portal and go and have the one-on-one conversations. So we're limited by either the technology or the resource, because you can't put a cam on every single long-tail partner. That's where that separation comes from. We're just approaching it the wrong way around. We're going, okay, let's pour all our time and money in the most competitive area because that's where our physical resource is because partner portals don't actually work. And so we've got to throw people at the problem and you can only throw people at a small subset of partners. You've got to flip that on its head. How do we activate, engage, and most importantly, create lots of opportunity and therefore digitally drive performance You've got to do that in a macro way. Invest in technology, invest in automation and drive opportunities because that will keep your partners engaged. Yeah, I think that's the only way to do it. But at the same time, I'm thinking like distribution usually also plays a big role in in the unmanaged or the long tail. Like what's the best way to approach that? How can you best collaborate with your distributor towards the, the long tail? 
Yeah, so distributors should be fully bought into that strategy because distribution, and look, I've spent seven years in distribution. I fully understand the challenges of working through distribution. Distribution has its own priorities and its own needs, and they've got their own targets. So they're pushing what their priorities are. And sometimes they're fully aligned with your priorities. They also don't have enough marketing resource, right? They're managing multiple vendors and they don't have the contact and they are not going to invest in, you know, a million pound TCMA platform to manage 100,000 global partners. They're just not going to do that. Whereas what we can do is collaborate and drive marketing automation to help drive those opportunities and distribution will support that because they see the revenue, right? If their partners grow by 20%, the distributor grows by 20%. That's what we need to do. How can we collaborate on the real challenge, which is creating more opportunities? Yeah. And I think that's the, uh, also like to think about from that, from a vendor perspective, really teaching your partners, how do you create that demand? Not just facilitating that because that's what you really want. You want to help them grow their business in general, because that's we always say where revenue goes, attention flows. That's so true in the channel. Like if you can show your partners there's demand and they see that they can actually be successful with that, there's no better way to get them engaging with your brand and therefore indeed get to your ultimate end goal is that they are growing throughout your partner program eventually to the highest tier that they can become a managed partner there. Yeah, exactly. All the partners and all the vendors want the same thing. A consistent flow of partners going from zero to hero. I've never met a partner who said I was creating too many opportunities. Like it just doesn't happen. And so they have they have an, a very singular challenge, which is they are relying on salespeople to create opportunities, which is the same as relying on CAMs to manage all of your partners. You're resource bound. There is a much smarter way to do this, and it has to come from the vendor supporting their partners to grow, which by the way, buys loyalty. This is exactly like Marcus Rashford, I think, will play for Man United for the whole of his career. Why? Because he's born and raised in Manchester, went through the academy, he has that loyalty. If you show that partner the support when they are a zero and you support them all the way to hero, they will be indoctrinated to you. They're going to be supporting you the whole way through, evangelizing your product. That's how you blend and how you go from end user pull to channel push. And the most effective channels in the world do both brilliantly. So that has to be the goal. Yeah, then, then it becomes a parallel process which only strengthens each other every single time like you do that, do such a thing. Yeah, if every single time I get uh, uh, I get loads of requests to sell. We've used Zoom as an example. I've used loads of requests to sell Zoom. Well, that means I'm selling it all the time. That means I'm really familiar with the product. I'm really familiar with the process. Then someone says, hey, agnostically, I need a video product. You go, well, I sell Zoom all the time, so I'll sell Zoom. Like, that's just how it works. But... We're only spending our marketing resources at the top. But again, that's a technology issue. MDF works if you've got a marketing department. But if you don't have a marketing department, it doesn't work. And that's where you create this huge disparity in terms of opportunity creation. Invest there, help your channel grow, get their loyalty. Yeah, when I'm thinking about the long tail, one of the things that we hear a lot in our conversations with vendors as well is that it's sometimes difficult, like what leading indicators can we track? We get the sales out list on a monthly basis and then we see which partners are growing there. Like what could be some other things that as a, that our listeners could look at if they manage long tail partners to see like, are we actually getting traction within that long tail? Sure. So the, the leading indicator to revenue is deal registrations, right? If your product and go-to-market motion supports that offering, sometimes they're capped based on 
deal size. And if you're selling lots of SMB stuff, you probably won't. Um, then you want to get a leading indicator to deal regs. Now, you can do that via activity metrics in terms of how many uh, calls are your partners making if they will share that data. Typically, they won't. And so to me, the best leading metric is marketing because you can see how much marketing someone's doing if you've got that bilateral flow, right? If you've got the communication, oh, this person's done 40 email campaigns this year from five email campaigns last year, and I can see their revenues going up. Okay, it turns out email campaigns are predictive of future revenue growth. If they do 80 the year after, well, I'm expecting revenue to continue to grow. Oh, we've seen that again. And the great thing about doing it across thousands of partner partners you get real data, right? It's not a data point if you do it with two partners, but if you do it with 2,000 partners, you can start to really have informed analysis. You don't just have to deal with email campaigns, social campaigns, landing pages, whatever it is, but you can start to measure performance digitally ahead of revenue. And that's so important in the long tail because one of the challenges with the long tail is we have no visibility of what we think it's going to do. We just find out at the end of quarter, they were 20% down on what we were expecting. My bad, not sure why. Call distribution, get annoyed at them, but they're also not sure why. Maybe it's the economy, maybe it's not the economy. Could be a million reasons. But If you've got this predictive activity data based on marketing, you can predict how many opportunities they create, and then you have a conversion percentage into close one revenue. Yeah, 100%. I think I would really like to invite our listeners to think about it like a funnel all the way from the top how many partners registered then how many partners completed their onboarding how many partners engaged in several types of activities like marketing training etc deal registration and sales and if you do that quarter over quarter you'll get a lot more grip on what are our conversion percentages in every stage of that funnel and then you can start predicting it right then you can start collaborating with your distributors hey to to achieve a revenue goal next quarter we know that we need to actually register 500 new net new partners this uh, this quarter and how are we going to do that and make plans around that and then you get a lot more grip and and more that feeling that you're in the driver's seat towards that uh, that long tail yeah exactly and i think if you can if you can land on marketing performance and realize that your long tail has an opportunity creation challenge and then it's just okay how do we solve that problem because that's a small digestible problem that we can solve and then we know, hang on, if we 10x the amount of opportunities and our conversion stays the same, my my channel's going to, or my long tail's going to grow 10x or the partners participating in those activities are going to convert 10x. And if you do it time and time again, you are going to be known as the channel that's really contributing, the vendor that's really growing, and that's going to buy their loyalty and you're just going to see the return and return and return. Yeah, so uh, towards our listeners, uh, focus on the long tail because it will bring you good things. Uh, I think we touched upon multiple aspects. Why is the long tail so important? How can you best approach the long tail? And how can you track the success of the long tail? Uh, Thank you for sharing today, Alex. I hope our listeners enjoyed as well. And uh, see you next week.